Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, September 30th. Lashana Tova and Happy New Year to all of our Jewish listeners out there. That is why we are releasing this podcast a little later than we had hoped. Last night, I was busy, of course, with my family at religious services doing all of the lovely things that come with a religious holiday. So I hope our Jewish listeners enjoyed their Rosh Hashanah as much as I have. Uh, With that in mind, yes, there was a Jewish holiday, but there was also a ton of tennis to watch, analyze, discuss this weekend from this weekend, and that is what we are going to be doing today. I want to recap the second week of the Asian Swing for you listeners to get you set for this week, which in my opinion is when the real push begins as we have a premier mandatory and two ATP 500s going on. So let's recap this past week's results, set the scene for you guys. Five tournaments to discuss, two ATP, two W. And of course, with the Tiburon Challenger going on, anytime I get to talk about Mike C. Tennis, at, uh, you know, Mike Cation and the, his work on the USTA Pro Circuit, livestream.com backslash ATP, I have things to discuss. So with that in mind, let's talk a little tennis. The place I want to start, let's go to Wuhan, China for what was a fantastic Dongfeng Motor Wuhan Open. We mentioned, as we said, going into the finals on Friday, we had number nine seed Arnia uh, Sabalenka taking on Ali Risk. Now, we talked about Risk in depth on Friday, but for Ali Risk, you know, I think she didn't drop a single set, or she dropped, I lied, but she dropped a couple of sets, but still such an impressive performance from her this week. She knocked out Kozlova first round, then Monica Pui, then the number eight seed Wong. Then she takes out Svinolina one and three, and of course, Petra Kvitova five and five to set up her final with Sabalenka. But the story from this event is the number nine seed Sabalenka, who takes a 6-3-3-6-6-1 win over risk to defend her 2018 Wuhan title. But more importantly for Sabalenka, I mean, she has set herself up so well for 2020. And you set the scene for Sabalenka coming into the year. She ended 2018 number 11 in the world. She made a push in February to break the top 10, ended up being at number nine. You look at her stats on the year. She is 35 and 21 now, two titles to her date. You look at though her um, from a doubles perspective she's also the number five doubles player in the world I mean yeah there were a lot of ups and downs for Sabalenka this season but for a 21 year old after you have your breakthrough performance you get to the top 10 or on the precipice of it and you you eventually creep in that top 10 but staying there is obviously the hardest part we've grown so accustomed on the men's side to seeing Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Murray, Staples not only in the top 10 but in the top four for so long on the women's side you see a Serena you see a Halep you see a Kerber a Kvitova the way they've been able to stay in the top 10 The reason there are so few names who do that is because it's so hard to do. And for Sabalenka, you look at her in the live rankings right now. She is all the way up to number 15 in the live rankings. You look at her in the race to the year-end finals. She's number 14 right now. Is that the top 10? No. 
but she is right there. She has, you don't want to say salvaged because it, her season wasn't that bad coming up to this point, but she has really put herself back in position to have a shot at making that big jump, that jump into the top 10, into the top five, competing at grand slams and singles for her. I mean, these these all seem like possibilities heading into 2020 because her level of play down this home stretch has been that high a level. And for her, she's got another premier, premier mandatory this week. So I mentioned those year out in finals as a joke. You look at her right now behind number eight, Svitolina. She is ooh about 14, uh, 1380 points. So 1380 points is a lot to make up. But still, if she can break the top 10, get to number 10 by the end of the season, that's a huge win. And even if she doesn't, that she managed to stay top 20, top 15, again, that's really hard to do. So a huge result for her. Um, I mean, for Sabalenka, you again, you look at the players in the top 10, would she like to be like a Ben Chich, like an Andrescu, like an Osaka, like a Barty has been, show that level of of flash of upside at the big events, winning a big event. Would she like to do that? Of course. Um, But she's kept herself in that discussion, in that group with this title. And uh, not necessarily with just this title, but by maintaining a top 15 ranking. And again, if she can end even two, three spots higher, number 12 on the year, you're telling me that's not a good season for her. You're crazy. So great result for her. Great result for Allie Risk, who right now is at a career high, number 21 in the WTA rankings, number 20 in the year-end race. I mean, overall, Wuhan, if this is, again, a sneak peek of what we're about to get this week at the Premier Mandatory, I am very excited to watch. But one other WTA event to help us set the scene for this week's Premier Mandatory, the Tashkent Open in Uzbekistan, where we had number three seed Ali Venutvinik knock out the number eight seed Kirstea. 6-2, 4-6, 6-4. Now for Venutvinik, uh, she drops only one. That's who I was thinking. I mixed her up with Sabalenka. Venutvinik's only set dropped in this tournament came in the final to Kirstea. I mean, Venufnik 0-1 in her first round, then 2-1 in her next, 2-4 in the next round, 3-5 over Pliskova in the semifinals. She has displayed such a high level of tennis this season. And you look at Ben Udvinik, 29-21 on the year. Her first two career titles come this season. In terms of the live rankings right now, she is sitting at number 46, 9 off of her career high. In terms of the race to the year-end final, she's sitting at number 44. She's been a top 50 player this year. And you have to keep in mind with Ben Udvinik, she's only 25 years old. So in theory, we still should have maybe her two best seasons ahead of her, age 26, 27, and if not that, a sustained five-year period where now she should get into every event she plays, right? It Premier mandatories. When you're in that top 50 range, it's, it's going to be very close between qualities and getting into the main draw, but likely you're going to get into the main draw. Yeah, obviously, she's going to get into the slams and all of these different things, but she has really positioned herself well. And the hardest thing, you know, I keep saying the hardest thing, the hardest thing is obviously get to that top 10, top 5 range, but to stay in the top 50 for Ben Uthenik, that's a huge win for her, especially given her rankings history. You know, she ended last year at number 50, the year before that, number 75. It looks like this year she's also going to end inside of that top 50. Slow but steady. You're not getting the big jumps that you've seen from, let's say, even a Sabalenka, who at age 20 was already at number 11. But a slow and steady progression works just as well. So for Van Udvinik, a fantastic year for her, and I'm sure it's something uh, she uh, is hoping to build off of, not only as she makes a couple more year-end, a little bit more of a year-end push, but looking into 2020, it's okay. 
Now I've proven I'm a top 50 player. What can I do next? And the two titles on this year speak to the fact that she has had a ton of success, and it seems like there really is more upside for us to see. But with that in mind, speaking of upside. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Let's flip over to the men's side and the place I want to start, in my opinion, the performance of the weekend on the ATP Tour. Let's go to Zhuhai, China, where we had the Huajin Security Zhuhai Championships. And in my opinion, the performance of the weekend on the ATP side goes to our champion here, Alex Dimenauer, who ends up knocking off in the semifinals Roberto Bautista Agut, 6-2-6-2, then knocks off Adrian Manorino, 7-6-6-4, to earn, I believe, his third title of the 2019 season. And you look for Alex Dimenauer, it is his third title uh, uh, all three of his ATP titles have come during this season. Look at his record now. He's 28-15 and 15 on the year, but in particular since Wimbledon. Uh, you look at what he's done. He goes uh, to Atlanta, wins it without dropping serve, knocking off contemporaries like Opelka, like Fritz. Then he loses first round City Open in Montreal, but makes a round of 16 in Cincy, round of 16 in New York, and then obviously to win the title here. I mean, for people who forgot, he had, I believe it was a hip injury earlier in the season that really took him a long time to nurse. You could tell, I think, for the majority of the clay season and really through Wimbledon, he hadn't found that full form of fitness. But I mean, oh my gosh, is this 20-year-old talented. First of all, you're never going to meet a guy who hustles more than Alex Dimenauer. The way he can just track down every ball on a hard court, you have to wonder, you know, how are you going to be able to beat this guy on a hard court just because he is so quick. He is so relentless. He does have, you know, he's six foot. And a lot of times, because so many of these players are now in the six four to six six range, he looks like a shrimp. He looks like, a, you know, a little guy compared to his opponent. But no, he is as physically fit as they come. When you leave him a short ball, he's going to snap it. That inside in down the line, so dangerous. His backhand, he can go multiple directions. The serve, sneaky big again for someone six feet, a little flat. But he can also hit the slices, hit the kicks. And I mean, the guy just... He's a competitor, and not only you know he had some funny social media moments off the court over these past uh, over this past week as well. While there, I think there's the thing with the bunny ears where he's doing the baby shark thing and he's puffing up each ear. So not only does he have a funny personality, but I mean this guy's a stone cold killer on the court. And look, you yes against Adrian Manorino, six and four. That that's a very good win for you in an ATP final, but. Two and two over Roberto Bautista Agut in the semifinals. I mean, given a Bautista Agut's level this season, are you kidding me? I mean, for Dimenauer, he only makes 50% of his first serves, but he wins 19 of those 20 points, wins 70% of his second serve points, uh, holds RBA to 5 of 14 on his own second serve points. In a you know, he goes four or five on break points versus holding Bautista to 0 of 2 on break point chances. I mean, this guy's a stud. And it's just, it, for me, it, you talk about, okay, the, the obvious question for all of these young guys is, well, are they going to get it done at a slam? Well, 
Alex Dimenauer on a hard court, he's the real deal. I mean, I think I think I saw a stat. You look at the players who have had three or more titles this season, and it's Djokovic, I think, Federer, Nadal, and uh, Medvedev, and Dimenauer. And I mean, that's crazy. That is just. It's a crazy amount of success for someone who's 23 years old. And, and the other crazy part, it feels like he really has deserved all of those hardcore titles. It feels like he has shown a level to where he really is that good. And it's it's really impressive to see from him the fact that he continues to uh, just – he doesn't seem to get relentless. Uh, he's just so relentless. He doesn't seem to lose focus at any moment on the court. And that is such a tough thing. You know, for so many of these young guys, you see the talent, right? You see all of the weapons they have, what they'd be capable of if they could put it all together. Well, in my opinion, this guy's got it all together. I mean, he has been that good. You look at him now in the live rankings. Yeah. Oh, I, I apologize. I forgot someone. Most titles in 2019 from Jose Morgado at Jose Morgado. Nadal, four. Djokovic, Federer, Medvedev, team, three. Dimenauer, three. So it's Dimenauer and the top five guys. I mean, that's that's a crazy level of success for Alex. And again, live rankings right now, he is sitting at number 24, which is a career high for him. You look at him in the ATP race this season. Right now, he is sitting at number 22. And that feels about right. You know, it feels right given the context that he was injured during this portion of the season. But you talk about the hardcore players on a hardcore. I, I keep saying Daniil Medvedev, you know, as good as any player in 2019 on a hardcore on the ATP Tour. I throw Alex Dimenauer in that mix as well. I think he is right up there. I think he has been so, so impressive this season. And again, I just, if he's healthy going into Australia in 2019, uh, in 2020, it's crazy that it's already 2020. Sorry, I'm, I'm thinking in, in, in uh, the Jewish calendar, it's like 5,600, something crazy. So I'm all scrambled with my years. But for Dimenauer, I mean, let's look at how he's done on his results on hard court at majors thus far in his career. Third round this year at the Australian Open, fourth round at the U.S. Open, third round last year at the U.S. Open. I mean, again, now that he's a year older, a year more experienced, I think second week at hardcourt majors is something we can begin to expect out of Alex Dimenauer because he really did look that he's looked that good on a hardcourt this season. And, you know, to just kind of cap off this tournament. Yeah. Adrian Manorino, great result for him, uh, for him to salvage. He's 22 and 22 on the year. So he needs to make a push as well, really to save his ranking. Um, but it, 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 good results for Manorino in terms of the players he beat in this event. He he goes through uh, a tough streak. You know, he beats Tsitsipas first round. He beats uh, Zoomher, Ramos, Vanola's Dimenauer. He took advantage of the draw. And so big win for him. Way to reset and balance, I believe, in terms of live rankings now. He is up to number 43. Uh, you look at him... That that's fine. I mean, he's still going to get into all the events he signs up for. Which, when you're a 31 year old veteran, that's really what you're shooting for. But great result there. Um, now I want to go to our other result on the week in Chengdu uh, because I thought there's a, a notable result there. I'm raving over Alex Dimenauer. Well, Sasha Bublik, who you know, not the sexiest young guy name on tour, but. He has really been so good this season. You look at him right now in the live rankings. He's up to number 54 after making the final here in Chengdu. Uh, I mean, you look at him in terms of, I believe, the ATP race to the year in finals. He's been a top 50 player. He's sitting right now at number 47 in the live ATP. Oh, sorry, number 42 in the live ATP race to the year end finals. 
I mean, keep in mind, Sasha Bublik, yeah, he's at number 42. He's 22 years old. I mean, this guy oozes with talent. He's six foot six. He moves well. The serve is just a cannon. He's not afraid to hit drop shots. He's not afraid to go big down the line. He just, he, has, he can hit on the run. He's got no fears. He's got a ton of weapons. And not to plug myself, but as I asked Novak Djokovic at Cincinnati, you see the direction the men's game is going. The catch knobs, the Zverevs, the uh, the Bublik's of the world, the her catches of the world. Uh, obviously, Riley Opelka, Taylor Fritz can go on and on and on and on. And I know I just did a big rant on Demon Hour, but if you have a big serve, that's half the battle. And Bublik's got that part of the equation locked up now in the final here in Chengdu. And I don't want to take credit away from Pablo Carreno Busta, who was our actual winner, a six seven six four seven six win in the final over Bublik. And of course, for Carreno Busta on the week, uh, you know, he goes and beats Elbot, beats Pear in three sets, beats Christian Guerin, beats Denis Shapovalov in the semifinals. Really good run for him. But I thought Bublik was... It, to me, Bublik was so impressive in the way he beat Fritz, 4 6 7, five, seven five, first round. Beats Jordan Thompson. Beats Grigor Dimitrov, 5 7, seven, six, seven six. Follows that up with a tricky win over Lloyd Harris, 7 6, seven, uh, six four. Then a three-set match here against Carino Busta. He defended his serve really well. And now, you know, Pablo Carino Busta is the ultimate litmus test for where your game's at as a young player because it's so hard to, to hurt him. He's going to make so many extra balls, just make the matches physical as possible. And I thought Bublik held up well. I also thought Denis Shapovalov, who loses again in an ATP semifinal, I think I saw a stat. He's like one of the first players to lose his first ATP, his first seven ATP semifinals or something like that and yet to make a final. And I think in all seven occasions, the guy he's lost to in the semifinal has won the tournament. So that's pretty funny. Um, But Good performance from Dennis, who continues to build off of his year-end success. You know, we talked about Winston-Salem, the U.S. Open, the success he had at Labor Cup now to make a semifinal here. He is another guy who's really ended the season strong. That's the theme of this podcast for Shapovalov right now in terms of the live rankings. You know, would he like to be higher than number 36? I'm sure, given that his career high is number 20. Um, But he's really put together a strong ending to the season, number 33, in terms of the race to the year-end finals. He's putting himself in position to be seated at slams. And when you're 20, 21 years old, isn't that half the battle? Just be like, I just don't want to play Federer and Nadal Djokovic in the first round. Just please, get me a seat. And he has that part of the equation knocked off. So really interesting Chengdu results. And it sets up, again, which should be a really fun week of ATP and WTA events. But before we preview the next week's action, I mentioned from the top, anytime there's a, a U.S. challenger going on, you know I'm tuned in to my guy, Mike C. Tennis at Mikeation, who of course has killed it all week long with his coverage and as my tennis channel podcast brother, and I'll use this chance to check out his podcast, The Cation Cast. Although I feel like if you listen to this, you definitely listen to that. But this week, him, Noah Rubin, Tommy Paul, all on the podcast. Whenever you have Tommy Paul on, we had him in correct interviews, I think a year ago, still holds up well. I mean, the guy is a character. Not only is he a character, but he is a winner right now on the tennis court. Tommy riding his way uh, through multiple three-set victories to win the tournament. Ultimately, he beats Tenasi Kokonakis in yesterday's final, 7-5, 6-7, 6-4. I mean, 
We had a debate, I think, in the Players to Watch GSP I did with Jamie and Rothman about a week, week and a half ago. Uh, should Tommy Paul, given where he was at at the rankings, he was top 100-ish, he, you know, was he going to get into the ATP 500s? Maybe, maybe not. But he probably could have gotten into a couple 250s at the very least qualifying, given himself to play uh, some ATP matches in the Asian swing down the home stretch, ATP level, I should say, the highest levels. Um but instead, he went to the challenger circuit, and look, given the fact that we've seen Songa, given the fact Kokonakis has been a top 50 player when healthy, all of these guys, the level at the challengers, in my opinion, has never been higher than it is now, although that's part of my argument that obviously the sport continues to improve with time goes on, so in theory, everyone should get better over time, but the challenger level never, yeah, regardless, the challenger level having been at the level it's at. I mean, listen to these results from Tommy over the past couple of weeks. He goes, um, you know, since the U.S. Open, he goes to New Haven right away. He wins. It knocks off guys like Kwiatkowski, Klon, Rubin, Giron. Then the next week, he goes to Kerry, loses in the quarterfinals, three sets to Michael Moe in what was a very interesting match. Um, and then he takes a week off, resets, goes to Tiburon, wins the damn thing. I mean... Tommy has just been, we always knew when Tommy was healthy, he's displayed this level of talent, this level of results. He had a really strong push at the end of last year. Obviously, a couple of years ago, what he did in Atlanta in D.C. will stick with a lot of people. He qualified for the U.S. Open all those years ago and played Seppi really close, played Dominic Team really close this year at the French Open, won the French Open Wild Card Challenge. If this guy can put together and stay, if he can not even put together, just stay healthy in 2020, He's going to be a top 50 player, 24 and 8 on the year. I mean, just continues to show just so many weapons, so many different things. He does, I think he does, you could argue he does everything good on the court. Now, there's a couple of things he does outstandingly well, and that's when you start projecting his upside. But I'm saying in terms of his level right now, he's a top 100 player. He's ready. With all due respect, I love watching Mike call his matches. I don't think that's going to happen that often in 2020 because it would not shock me to see him go to Australia, play a couple events. I mean, he's got he's got season to play with. He has to defend a lot of challenger points come clay, but given that he's now in the top 100, you think that you know he wins, let's say, four ATP matches in January and February, maybe five or six, makes a second or third round at the Australian Open, which I think is possible. Well, then you're fine. You're still going to be playing uh, ATP events the rest of the year. You're not going to have to go to the challenger circuit to play. And I think us as tennis fans are just lucky that we're going to get to see this Tommy Paul moving forward because when healthy, again, he's right up there with the Fritzes, Opelkas, Tiafos of the world in terms of young American men's talent. But in my opinion, you know, and I'll save where I have him amongst the next gen tiers for when we do our next tier pods. But with that in mind, last thing I want to do before we uh, sign off today, uh, let, let's look ahead at this week's draws because, there, as I mentioned, it, things really heat up on the ATP Tour two five hundred level events. We've got the China Open in Beijing, and of course the Rakuten Japan Open in Tokyo. Uh, let's start in Beijing, and I'm just going to go through the result. There have been some results thus far, but just the players involved. I mean, Dominic Team, the one seed here. We've got Cam Nori uh, knocking off Christian Garin first round. Andy Murray in the draw against Berrettini. That's going to be fun. We've got Hachanov, aka Kachanov. We've got Andre Rublev knocking off Grigor Dimitrov. John Isner, Monfils, round one. We've got Tsitsipas back in the draw. RBA, a little Schwartzman Verdasco action. Zverev knocked off Francis Tiafo earlier today. Um, yeah, 
this draw is freaking loaded. And then in Tokyo, you know, the embarrassment of riches continue. Look at here, Novak Djokovic making his return as the number one seed. We've got players who at the next-gen level, Yoshi Nishioka, Luka Pui knocked off my boy, Hubie Hurkacz, David Goffin in the draw. Oh, Shapovalov, Kesmenovic first round. I'm all in on that. Hyun Chung gets a returning win on the ATP Tour. We've got Fritz Opelka tomorrow, or tonight. I forgot about that. I mean, so important. Borna Chorch in the draw. Alex Dimenauer in the draw. Benoit Pair in the draw. It's going to be a very, very fun week of ATP tennis. But then, you know, the WTA probably one-ups it because they have their premier mandatory event in China this week. You look at the one seed here, Ashley Barty in play, Sloan Stevens in play. We already saw Belinda Bencic knock off Venus in three sets. Kvitova plays Mladenovic tomorrow. Svitolina in the draw. Kennan over Muguruza in three sets already happened. We've got a little Kiki Bertens over Yastremska action. Bianca Andrescu making her return, getting a three-set win. Who knew people could win sets off of Andrescu? Um... Kind of cool to see. Jennifer Brady, three sets over Anissa Mova. Madison Keys in the draw. Ali Risk in the draw. Osaka in the draw. Simona Halep knocked out by Alexandrova already. Sabalenka. Oh, Ostapenko knocked off Pliskova only to get knocked off by Sinyakova. Caroline Wozniacki in the draw. The point is, you are not going to want to miss any of the tennis this week because we have a loaded set of action. And with that in mind, if you have missed anything, you need to catch up on the tennis world. You just find yourself, you know, I have a fix right now. I want to start off the Jewish New Year by listening to as much tennis podcast as possible. Be sure to check out our website, CrackedRackets.com, where you can find this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, the Cracked Interviews Podcast. You know, we're making a little bit of a college push right now. College tennis on the horizon. A ton of individual results there I could have mentioned, but it gets kind of boring. Or not boring. I'm sure you listeners are like, I don't want to hear 45 minutes of just Alex. You know, if he can even go 25, that seems like a little much. Um, but we've got Keegan Smith, the UCLA doubles champion from last season, uh, coming out this week. Uh, Estela Perez-Sumaribo, the UNC NCAA women's singles champion from last year, a senior this year. We just had her on the podcast. Obviously, in terms of the professional level, Bethany Maddox-Sam, Steve Johnson, Mitchell Kruger, on and on and on and on. The, the Rolodex looks nice now, so definitely go give those a listen. And of course, mini-break-wise, I mean, Vicki Duvall, getting to do an episode with her every week, what a treat that is for me. We've got a really fun on third guest. We just had her and CeCe Ballas, her and Mackie McDonald a couple of weeks ago. We've got another really fun third guest planned for tomorrow's mini break, so be on the lookout for that. Again, for the more instant uh, updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, it's at Cracked Rackets, and we ask as always, like, rate, subscribe, review all of our podcasts, share them with your friends. We want to hear feedback. Do you want us to do a year-end mailbag? Then send in your questions because we look here forward to hearing uh, them. Something I also always look forward to doing, giving a huge shout out to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, who as always have a f***ing editing job to do. And boys, you know this, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Please don't ever leave me. Uh, but with that in mind, for our super producers, Fligner and Westhoff, and from our entire teams at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>